Hi, I'm Bruno Holthoff, and you're listening to Health Innovation and Entrepreneurship, a podcast series from the International Health and Tropical Medicines Program at the University of Oxford. Our guest today is Prashant Warrior. Prashant studied operations research at the Georgia Institute of Technology and has successfully developed and commercialized various data science applications in industries such as trucking, fashion, and now healthcare. Prashant is co-founder and CEO at Cure.ai, a company that is focused on reshaping the landscape of medical diagnostics with artificial intelligence. Cure.ai was founded in 2016 and wants to disrupt traditional radiology practices by enhancing the imaging accuracy with artificial intelligence. The company wants to make diagnostic imaging, such such as X-rays and CTs, more precise, more accessible and more affordable. More than 10 products already have MDR and FDA clearances. And these products are being adopted in the screening and diagnosis of diseases such as lung cancer, tuberculosis and stroke in North America, Europe, Asia and Africa. Hey Prashant, let me start by asking you what your vision is for Cure.ai and what impact do you hope to achieve in the next 10 years? Thanks, thanks Bruno. Great uh, great to be here uh, and thanks for having me. So our, our mission from day one uh, has been to uh, make healthcare more affordable and accessible. And um, we have done that uh, in the last seven years of Cure. So we have been around for seven years where we have uh, been able to make tuberculosis screening available in the remotest parts of the world. We have been able to uh, get thrombectomies for stroke patients, again, in some of the most hard to reach places like, for example, Assam uh, in India. I mean, there is a a hospital in a very, very rural part of Assam, and we are able to uh, process CT scans and enable thrombectomies to happen for stroke patients there. Uh, So we are are doing that. We are making healthcare accessible and affordable uh, across multiple disease areas from tuberculosis to stroke to lung cancer. But the one key number that we always track is the number of patients that we touch. And to date, we have reached about 25 million patients in the last seven years, and most of that in the last two years, actually. Uh, and the goal for us from, from the beginning has been to reach a billion lives. So we want to be able to touch a billion lives uh, across multiple therapeutic areas, um, again, across tuberculosis, stroke, lung cancer, heart failure, which are areas that we currently offer services for our products for. Uh, but we are also going to expand into more disease areas. Uh, and uh, I think the, the goal is always that one billion number. And that's a number that we always track across the organization. Everybody is working towards that number. Great. And and that one billion, uh, would that be in North America, Europe, Asia, Africa? What's your core markets, uh, Prashant? So we actually, uh, we initially, when we started building the solution, we thought the markets would be uh, US or um, UK uh, or uh, sort of Western Europe. Uh, but um, we also found that there is a real opportunity in uh, many of the more developing economies, low and middle income countries, so-called, where uh, there is not enough radiologists available. I mean, if you have an X-ray system, but you don't have a radiologist available, the X-ray system is sitting idle many times. And so we are enabling X-ray interpretation in many of those places. And so for us, uh, I mean, I think while while the initial vision was around the more developed countries, we have seen that the opportunity is much bigger in the 
what is called the global health space, right? And um, we, uh, uh, so the number of 1 billion lives, I think, will come from both developed countries as well as uh, low and middle income countries. Um, and uh, but the majority numbers will be, I mean, for example, India has a billion, a billion and a half people. So obviously, large numbers will come from India. Uh, and very similarly for an Indonesia or uh, parts of Africa, right? So we'll see numbers from uh, these countries. I think the billion, maybe about 60-70% of that will be LMICs, is my perspective. Again, it, it's a future vision. We have to see how it how we get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and uh, who's your customer? Who's paying for your service, Prashant? So we work with uh, a wide variety of customers. We work with uh, hospitals uh, who are always the users, right? The hospital systems providers are the users across the world. Uh, so there are hospitals who are paying for our solutions. Uh, there will be global health uh, funders, for example, a USAID or, or a Gates Foundation or a, a global fund uh, who are also paying for certain uh, products, right? So for example, tuberculosis screening is heavily funded by Global Fund and they have about $15 billion for tuberculosis, HIV and malaria. And they operate in about 30 countries, uh, all the LMICs, right, where tuberculosis is prevalent right now. So we uh, work with programs like that. So they are, they are a funder. Uh, we work with governments uh, across many countries. We work with governments um, in, in um, Asia, Africa, Middle East. Uh, we work with the NHS. So uh, again, there's a lot of government uh, work we're doing. And then we work with pharma. So again, pharma is a payer in some areas because pharma also has, they do clinical trials. Uh, for them, there is, uh, they also have incentives in uh, improving diagnostics because improved diagnostics means uh, more patients uh, that uh, are using their intervention. So, so we are seeing that uh, multiple, uh, multiple kinds of customers of ours, but the end user for our solutions always uh, is a physician. The end user is always either a pulmonologist uh, or a neurologist, neurosurgeon, uh, a radiologist, uh, infectious disease uh, specialist, um, ICU um, uh, specialist, interventionist, uh, or an emergency physician. So those are the guys who are typically using our solutions. And sometimes even healthcare workers and nurses also. Yeah, no, great. And you just mentioned that you've been on this journey since uh, 2016 and hope to reach, uh, touch the lives of a billion uh, people. You must have learned quite a bit over that uh, time period and if you would start again would you do anything differently i think so i i sort of mentioned this briefly in, in the last uh, answer to the last question that i think we did not imagine that there is such a big need for um, ai interventions in the global health space uh, in the low and middle income countries we thought that the market opportunity is going to be uh, in the developed countries but just like i mean we have mobile phones uh, India or Africa did not have uh, regular landlines, but they got mobile phones uh, to begin with. I mean, a lot of people in India never had a landline, right? They just got a mobile phone. I think that is also happening with healthcare technology, where uh, the technology adoption is much better in areas where is, there is no, the quality of care is very poor already. So we are able to actually bring access. Uh, and that is something that we realized only very late in our journey, maybe about three, four years into building cure, we realized that there is a such a large opportunity to improve the quality of care or bring access to patients in the LMICs. Uh, and if I were to start Cure again today, I would definitely start in that in those markets from the beginning and figure out how we can solve some of the big big problems in these uh, in these global health markets. 
And I mean, artificial intelligence gets a lot of attention uh, these days and often in a very positive uh, context, but also quite a number of people are raising concerns yeah, around uh, AI. What's your experience? How are the uh, the health professionals or the the governments, how are they looking at AI? Do they see it as an opportunity, a threat? Uh, what's your view on that? So I think there is there is some of both. I mean, some people think of it as a threat because it feels like AI is going to take away jobs, right? Some people think of it as an opportunity because AI is going to provide access to care in places where there was no access to care. Some people think of it as a threat because you are AI is likely to make a wrong decision, right? So autonomous cars, for example, right? I mean, if AI makes a wrong decision on the road, somebody could die because of that. So again, I think I think there are multiple reasons why AI is both a boon and a threat. Uh, and the main thing we have to figure out is how do we make sure that people are using AI effectively? And so it has to be a mix of AI plus human decision-making and AI supporting human decisions. Uh, and where, where required, the human can override the AI decisions. Uh, where required, the human can basically uh, rely on the AI decisions and make sure that uh, you're not spending a lot of time doing that. For example, I, I'll talk about one of our products in this, right? So we we found that uh, chest X-rays, I mean, there are about 1.3 billion chest X-rays taken every year. And uh, a significant chunk of them are not reported uh, in a short amount of time. They're reported in weeks. Uh, a, a large number of them are not reported at all by a radiologist. Uh, and so, and and the main thing to understand is about 80% of X-rays are normal and about 20% will be abnormal. So we built algorithms which can classify X-rays as normal with a very, very high degree of accuracy, basically 99.99% plus, right? So there will be the error rate is one in 10,000, which means that out of 100 X-rays, now I can say these, not necessarily 80, but maybe the 60 or 70 X-rays are normal with a super high accuracy. Now, what that means is I can the radiologist does not have to worry about those x-rays. They can really focus on what is abnormal there. And these x-rays can be sort of either flipped through or basically uh, reported automatically by AI. So, so you have to figure out, my point is, you have to design these interventions in a way that AI is supportive to uh, human uh, readers or uh, radiologists in uh, or, or other, other physicians also, right? Not necessarily radiologists, but also uh, a general practitioner or, or a neurologist in helping them making decisions. Yeah, no, that's a wonderful, uh, wonderful vision. And you clearly have been leading, uh, sort of embedding these new technologies in uh, often quite difficult uh, parts of the world. Uh, as you know, we're teaching students to become uh, leaders in global health in the future. Uh, what advice would you give to our students who want to pursue a leadership role in global health? I think my my biggest advice would be think big in global health. And uh, what I've seen is uh, the global health solutions are very, especially in the tech side, solutions are very local in nature. You are digital health solutions are somebody is building a solution in India, somebody is building for Africa, somebody is building for Indonesia. But I mean, there is a, I mean, the same problems exist across all of these countries, right? And uh, if you think big, uh, you can actually really solve uh, problems for a lot of people. And thinking big requires working with a lot of partners. So it's about leveraging the community that is there. There's a big global health community uh, from a lot of funders to NGOs, to governments, uh, to even private hospitals that are involved. And so you have to create those partnerships so that you can create more impact. But uh, my advice is think about 
uh, reaching reaching uh, a, a large number of people and that is that is the vision from there you can then see how how you can uh, build quality solutions to to get there uh, i think the other advice i for me i think the big learning again you asked about learnings for me one of the learnings was the regulatory clearance right because um, these these products i mean the products that we are building in cure uh, and anything that is in the clinical pathway typically requires a, a fda clearance or a ce marking and every country from india to indonesia to uh, thailand to i mean any latam country will have their own regulatory pathway so uh, having a very strong regulatory focus is important because otherwise uh, you may not be able to sell the products in multiple geographies so making sure that a digital health product while quality of the product is important but also making sure that you get the regulatory clearances and focus on regulatory from the beginning so that uh, you can you can deploy it and commercialize it in multiple markets and that was something we learned a little late in cure so something that definitely is a learning i would want to pass on yeah and it is a learning that uh, we've picked up in also previous uh, podcasts uh, prashant so thank you very much for sharing uh, your advice if you like this podcast and you want to listen to other entrepreneurs in health don't forget to subscribe to this podcast series and if you're interested in reading more about the work we're doing in international health and tropical medicine, please click on the link provided below the podcast. Thank you for joining and thank you, Prashant, for joining us.